Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli. Then there's a very long genealogy, (laughs) which Johnny said not to read, so... You can blame him. Don't make fun of me. Um, So let's skip to verse 38. Um, At the end of the genealogy, uh, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Um, And I'll just pray for our time together. Um, Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word um, and the chance to gather together as your chosen people this morning. Um, Please help us to listen with soft hearts to what you're going to teach us from your word. Um, Please help Johnny as he speaks um, to do that clearly and winsomely and helpfully. Um, Please help us see wondrous things out of your word today. Amen. be glad to know I'm not going to get people to share their embarrassing stories that they've just been sharing, hopefully, of one another. Um, but it kind of loosely relates to, to some of what we're looking at this morning. I think a far more significant thing uh, that we all really need and want as people is a declaration of loving acceptance over us and over our life. We, we want someone outside of us to say and really mean they love us and they accept us fully. That's a hard thing, isn't it? And perhaps a rare thing to find and to get hold of because what comes with that desire for that loving acceptance is a fear deep within us that we aren't lovable, that we're not worthy to be loved, that we aren't acceptable. We think, if only they knew what I was really like. If only they could see where I've been and what I've done and what has happened to me, then they wouldn't love or accept me. And so what we often end up doing is we show people this kind of filtered and curated version of the true self um, in a similar way to to what we do on social media. We kind of edit out the stuff we're ashamed of or embarrassed of and just just put out the less good bits, get rid of them and, and, and put out the best parts of our lives for all to see, desperately hoping others will accept and love and, and like us. Tim and Kathy Keller, who are a couple um, from New York and uh, uh, have lots of really helpful things to say. Tap into this search for love deep in our souls um, in a book on marriage. Uh, and this is what they write in, in their book on marriage. They say, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be fully known and truly loved. That's something that comes from God alone. There's some big words in, in, in this quote, but what they're saying is we just, that's what we need more than anything, to be fully known, uh, just as we are, just as who we are, but completely and unconditionally loved. Listen, guys, that's the way that God has made us as people, to be fully known and perfectly loved by him. So often we try, don't we, to find, but don't find this perfect love in and from other people. Some of us never experienced that kind of unconditional love from our parents, 
We're still, our lives are still massively shaped and affected by that to this day. Others of us are looking for it in relationship after relationship, and they're creaking and breaking under the pressure we're putting on them. Others for us are yearning for it in our marriage. It's what every one of us needs. It's what every one of us is looking for. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's what you have in abundance this morning. Being loved by God. We have it in abundance, and yet so often we don't feel it, and so often we forget it, and so often we don't live as if that's true. This is why we come to this this record that Luke wrote down, this short little story of Jesus' baptism, and it speaks right into this for us. And you might not get how yet, but I hope in 20 minutes or so you'll, you'll be with me on this. It's this simple little scene, but as so often happens in the life of Jesus, a simple little scene that opens up a window on true reality. And if we'll look into that window and see it, it will flood our souls with light and with joy uh, of the great love and delight of the God who made you and knows you and all that he has for you. Whoever you are, whatever you're going through in life today, whatever you're facing, this is something that you need. For some, it might be the first time we just realize, even today, how God loves us. And it could be a life-changing moment. For others, it's, we have doubts about God's goodness and his love, and, and those need to be melted once again. Maybe others just need to be reminded of something that we know to be true, but we desperately need to hear for the health of our soul. My hope this morning is that as we just look into this little window of ultimate reality together in the baptism of Jesus, it will shine fresh light on our souls. It'll bring freedom and joy and assurance and life by the work of the Spirit of God. Here's, here's what we start to see on this little scene. The first thing is this. Jesus draws near to us in our shame. I, I want you to get the scene and close your eyes if you want. Just try and picture it in your mind. We're by the banks of the Jordan River in the hot, hot Middle Eastern desert. And, and there's this guy, John the Baptist, and Rich introduced us to him last week. This slightly wild and kind of off-grid, crazy preacher and he's causing a stir and the crowds are coming and and the historians tell us thousands upon thousands are coming flocking to hear him and Rich helped us see last week it's a right mix of people from across society you've got the commoners you've got the good religious types the great and the good of society you've got soldiers there policing the situation trying to make sure stuff stays uh, and keeps the peace it's this charged atmosphere and John's this kind of fiery preacher, and he's preaching this message, and he closes his message with this call to repentance. He says, um, a call to baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John isn't afraid of calling people out, and he's inviting people to acknowledge their sins, their, acknowledge their mess-ups, acknowledge that they've got life wrong. And he says, come and be washed clean in the river through baptism. He's saying, come and have a spiritual shower. Get clean again and turn a new leaf in your life. And so what you've got is these people are listening to this message and there's this long queue of people along the riverbank coming towards John. We've seen a queue along the riverbank of the Thames this week, I mean, 10 miles long. People queuing up. It's that kind of scene. And, and people are queuing up to go down into the river and to get baptised. And, and this, this, this queue is full of people who are on the fringes. These are the people who know that they've messed up. Their life's in pieces. They desperately need help and forgiveness. These are the tax collectors. These are the sex workers. These are the social outsiders, the the common people who know they're broken. And they're ready to line up in a queue and say, yeah, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I I need a spiritual wash. I need to be cleaned. It's a pretty humiliating line to find yourself in. 
And so there's this other group forming in this scene. Uh, and this other group are standing on the riverbank, and they're looking on. And, and these people we would know as the good guys. They're, 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 they're those that are at the top of, top of the tree of society. They're the successful ones. They've got their lives together. Things look really good on the surface. A lot of them are religious types, and it all looks okay with them. It's, it's kind of the way that we often think of celebrities today. Like Life just looks good for them, and they don't have the problems that common people like us have. They've got it all together. And this group had listened to John. They'd engaged with his message, and, and, but they don't really buy what he's saying. This isn't for us. Right? I didn't feel any conviction or any sense of my need here for forgiveness. And so they're looking and they're watching on. They're definitely not ready to join that line in public. That's humiliating. That's for other people. That's not for me. Now, if, if that's the scene, and if you were there, if you lived back in that day, where would you put yourself in that scene? I guess most of us tend to think like we'd be there with the good lot. You know, I, I know I'm not perfect, but kind of, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm respectable, and, I, and I'm okay, and I've got no, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be as humiliated as being with that lot walking into the water queuing. But I think if we're honest, and when we are honest in those moments with ourselves and with others, we probably would find ourselves in the line of those needing a fresh start, needing some forgiveness, needing some help, needing to be cleansed of our wrongs and our mess-ups. Here's another question. Where does Jesus fit in this scene? Where would you find him? Where does he belong? From what we know of Jesus, from even how Luke has introduced him so far in, the, in his life story, he says he's this great and perfect king. He says he's the son of the most high. He's one who is favored by God and by people. It's a no-brainer, isn't it, where Jesus belongs here? Of course he belongs with the great and the good. He, he has no need for a baptism of forgiveness. He doesn't find himself amongst the failures and the royal mess-ups. Mess ups. He's, he's a cut above. But verse 21, do you see that? When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Jesus puts himself in the scene, and he puts himself not with the great and the good, but with the bad and the lowly. He draws alongside and he even lines up with, behind and in front of the failures and the broken, and he waits for his turn to go down into the waters of baptism. I don't know if you saw this week, but it was a bit of a stir cause when David Beckham took his her place in the queue of going, of the, going to see the Queen. It's like, What's the, what's, someone, what's the great and the good like that doing with these common, you know, little interviewers saying, oh yeah, we're even eating Pringles and stuff, as if he's like one of the people, you know. And, uh, but it does feel strange, someone like him being in that kind of queue of ordinary people, doesn't it? Well, listen, this is a much bigger deal, what's going on with Jesus here than that. This is much more newsworthy because of who Jesus is. This is the perfect son of God. This is the one of wisdom and goodness. There is no shade of darkness or failing in his soul or life. And so it does not make sense for him to be in that queue. He is out of place there because he doesn't have any sin to be forgiven. He has no major life mess-ups to turn away from. He is not one of the bad guys, but he is the ultimate good one. But in the mind of God, this makes perfect sense. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. You see, 
The baptism story of Jesus recorded in all four of uh, the stories of Jesus' life we have in the Bible. And each of the, the stories give us a little perspective or, or different insight into it and help us get what's going on when we read them all together. And, and Matthew records Jesus saying this to John. He says, it is right for me to get baptized, for it is proper, uh, it is proper for him to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is saying, the reason he's getting baptized is because he's saying this is a key part of my rescue mission. What Jesus is doing here in this short little verse is he is publicly identifying himself with the sinners that he came to save. He is placing himself amongst us and with those he came to rescue. He doesn't stand at the side with his arms crossed on the hill looking down, scowling at us for our sin and our shame, but he draws near to us in our sorry state and in our great need. He even joins with us. The shame that we carry this morning, that we have not been the people that we want to be, but also the people that deep down we know we should be. We haven't been the citizens in society that we want to or should be. We haven't been the parents that we know we're called to be. We haven't been the family members or the friends. We haven't been the employees or the spouses. You know those parts of you, those parts of your life and your experience that you most want to hide? Perhaps you're most shared to scare, even with the closest, even with your spouse or your closest friends. Maybe you've not even been able to share yet. You don't even want to acknowledge them yourself. Jesus sees it all. He knows it all. He sees us as we are, and he doesn't stay far off. He doesn't cross his arms and stand up on the hill. No, he draws near to us. In it. Now you would think, wouldn't you, that someone so good, someone um, so perfect and so out of place in that line would be ashamed and embarrassed to stand in that line of the mess-ups and the failures, the people who need that spiritual shower to make themselves clean. You would have thought it would bring great dishonor to him, wouldn't you? But we're assured in God's word, he felt no shame. He felt no shame to come near to us and to be with us. And in fact, rather than it bringing him dishonor, what happens is he brings us honor. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. It's an amazing thing. Here's the thing that's important for us to see, though, at this point. Later on in Luke, Jesus talks about his baptism. And he's talking about his upcoming death on the cross. He calls that his, his true baptism. And so what we need to see is that the water baptism here is a picture of his true baptism on the cross where he fully and finally took on the shame of every sin, the dishonor of every evil thought and word and deed of his people. And so um, a long time before this, the prophet Isaiah prophetically and poetically celebrated and and wrote of and and spoke of uh, what Jesus was coming to do as he took all of this from us and for us. It's on the screen here. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Or you could say saved, rescued. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took it from us, and he took it for us. 
He took it from you. And he took it for you. The cross is where Jesus came down to us in our spiritual death to rescue us. The cross is the place he paid the penalty for the sins that he did not commit. He experienced the shame that he did not deserve. And he took the dishonor that was not his. It was all mine. And he took it for me. That's where Jesus' rescue mission culminates. And here at the start of his mission, in the baptism that Luke records, it's like this visual image that's pointing us forward. It's like the little clue. when You, you know when you watch a film back and you saw the little clues at the beginning of the ending? This is a clue at the beginning of the ending that's coming. This is what Jesus is here to do, and it's an amazing and an astounding thing. Now, now incidentally, the genealogy, that, that's just like the family line of Christ, his family tree, um, which we kind of skipped over, but it reiterates the point. So from verse 23, you go back down, Luke takes us down, the family line of Jesus, I think it's 75 generations, all the way to Adam, the first man, uh, and the son of God in verse 38. Uh, and so ultimately, Jesus is the perfect son of God. His, his tree goes all the way back to being a son of God. That is his heritage. That's his true family line. But he made himself one of us. He finds himself in this family tree of, 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 um, of various generations of men that he's put himself uh, amongst, and therefore he is one of us and amongst us. Now, there are some complexities and issues with this uh, family tree and how it fits in, particularly with Matthew's family tree. We're not going to get sidetracked on that now. If you've got questions, we can uh, come and grab me later and we can discuss it. But, but the key thing to see is this, that both verse 21 and this family tree uh, show us Jesus did not stay far off. He did not keep away from you and me in our shame and our brokenness, but he has drawn near to you. And he has even taken it for you on the cross. That's an amazing thing. But it doesn't stop there. That's like, that's like half of the good news story that we get a glimpse of in, in this baptism. You see, Jesus joins with us to make us uh, and, and, and makes himself like us, and yet he's amazingly different to us. He's not actually one of us. And so what the baptism of Jesus really shows us is that he joins with us so that we can join with him. Or, or you could say, as it was say on this slide, he draws near to us in our shame so we can draw near to him in his honor. He draws near to us in our shame so that we can draw near to him in his honor. You see, the main focus of attention as he, as he retells this baptism story for, um, for, from Luke here, that what he emphasizes in his writing is not actually the baptism, but it's um, or the fact that Jesus is baptized, but it's what happens at the baptism. What Luke is most interested in and what he really wants us as readers to grasp hold of is that Jesus' baptism is actually an insight and uh, a revealing of the nature of God. One God in three persons, and here they are all on display, Father, Son, and Spirit. And my, my dad was, um, was 70 just, just last week, and so we as a family put on a surprise party. Uh, so, I, I mean, it wasn't very believable, but he was told he was going to Nando's with my mum and my brother and sister for his 70th. Um, I don't think he's been to Nando's before, so like, I mean, maybe he thought it was special. But, um, but, but what we had booked is a super posh restaurant for 15 of, of the family, um, and, uh, but what happened was one at a time through the evening, another surprise guest would rock up. So firstly, in the hotel they were staying in London, um, his, his um, um, 
his cousin and his brother and sister-in-law turned up and, and took him for a drink. And, and that was like a, a surprise that brought joy and, and excitement to him. And then when they arrived at the restaurant we're going to, my dad's brother and sister-in-law were there. Uh, and that's another surprise. And then a few minutes later, I walk in with Annalie and, and more family. And, and just through the evening, one after another, there was surprise after surprise. A special guest was revealed uh, and appeared. And, uh, and it kind of the joy and excitement, you can imagine, grew with the evening uh, as, as each person appeared. And it's a bit like that, what we have here in, in, in this little scene, but it's obviously a far bigger deal than, than me rocking up to a party. Firstly, you've got the eternal son shows up, Jesus Christ, presence among people as man. Then the heaven opens up and the spirit of God is present and, and pours out onto the scene. And so the, the joy and excitement builds. And then there's a booming voice of Father God from heaven. One after another, a special guest turns up and the, the scene just kind of goes through the roof. Joy and excitement as each person of the Trinity is revealed and on display. Now, now part of our, our, our vision statement is, is over here on this green banner as a church is that we are here because the God of the Bible is real. We're here because the God of the Bible is real. And so when we speak about God, listen, we need to remember we're not saying we're, we're into religion or we're religious types or, or we like reading old stories or we're super traditional or we love discussing philosophy or, or we're into make-believe so we feel better. No, when we talk about God, we're saying that the God that the Bible introduces us to really exists. He really is who he says he is. Uh, And not only can he be known by us, but getting to know him draws us into true reality. He is real, and knowing him brings us into true reality as it is. It leads us to discover the real meaning, purpose, uh, and our place as people in this world. He is real, and he is supremely relevant to life in in his world. And you see, what we have in this little scene of this baptism is we get probably the clearest scene in history where all three persons of the one true God are on display for us. So what what do we see as we're drawn into this true reality of the God of the Bible? You've got Jesus, the the eternal son who becomes man. And and you see here, it's snuck away, but he's praying as he is baptized or after he is baptized. he's, He's calling out to his father God as an expression and a practice of the perfect and unbroken relationship that they've always enjoyed together. And then you've got the Holy Spirit symbolically descends from heaven onto the perfect Son of God. And we read that he can be seen in bodily form like a dove. It's not that he is a dove, but it's a physical image depicting the spirituality for people like us to see and to know what's going on. The Spirit who is the presence and the power of God in all of the world, the one that Jesus is the Son of, uh, the eternal Son of God has always been filled with. Luke has shown us when he was in the womb as a baby, he went to John and took the Spirit of God with him. But now this Spirit-filled reality of the eternal Son of God is visually confirmed and on display as he heads into his ministry. This is all going to be by the power and by the leading of the Spirit of God. And then Father God, though not present in any visible form because he cannot be seen by human eyes, but in a voice that booms from heaven, the control center of the universe. And and, and heaven just erupts in pleasure and delight over the eternal son. You are my son, Father God says, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the declaration of a proud and a delighted father. I love my son. 
He delights me. He brings pleasure to me. I'm so proud of him. He's so, he's so good. I want the world to know, so I'm going to shout it out. I'm going to let people hear. He is so good. Don't you know? One blessed, holy, and happy Trinity. Three perfect persons in one glorious God. This is the God who is there. The God of the Bible is real. And he's beautiful. Verse 23 tells us that Jesus is about 30 years old at this point, And he's about to start his ministry. This is the age in that day, that culture, where, where someone was thought to be a fully mature man. I don't know what it is here, like 50 or something, isn't it, nowadays? But, um, but it was 30 back then. And um, when the religious leaders uh, also started their life, uh, ministry and work, but before Jesus even starts on that road, before he's really done anything of massive note, his heavenly father is already proud. He's already delighted. He's already pleased. He's the one on whom... The favor and the pleasure of the Father rests. He's the one in whom he delights. He's the one whom the Spirit is upon and within. He's good. This is his honor. This is his status that he has by right. This is who he is. This is Jesus. Now let me tell you why this is good news for us. Why this is good news for you. What difference this makes as you sit in that black chair today. Remember that need that we all have deep within us to be fully known and to be fully loved. Because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, you can have it. You can have it. In fact, most of us here today have it already as we sit here in bucket loads. Jesus draws near to us in our shame so we can draw near to him in his honor. We come into his place of love and his place of acceptance and his place of delight from Father God over him and so over us. And what that means today is if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Christ, whatever your life looks like and whatever you've done in life, whatever even has happened this week, you have this declaration of a delighted and a pleased Father over you. That is spoken over you and over your life, even this moment, by Father God who made you. He looks upon you and he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased. I'm pleased with you. Just let that sink in for a moment. That's what God feels about you this morning. That's his heart to you. That's what he says to you and over you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You bring bring a smile to my face. I'm delighted in you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you feel that? Do you live as if that's true? really significant, it's really important, it's, it's who we are as Christians. See, this, this vision statement goes on here on this green banner. We're here because the God of the Bible is real. And in Jesus, we're a loved people. In Jesus, we're loved. We're delighted. God has pleasure over us. 
You see, this baptism of Jesus shows us who God is. It also gloriously shows us who we are. I'm going to say it again. In Jesus, you're loved by God. Delighted in by him. You bring him great pleasure and joy and delight. It's not that we've earned it. It's not that we're good enough for it. It's not because of our ministry, our service in church, the good things, the amazing things we feel we've done this week. It's not because of our achievements or our grades or our careers or our promotions or the money we've got in the account. It's not because of how kind we are or how good we are or how noble we are. It's not because of how together we've got our life or how much of a fighter we are and that we've overcome so much hardship and difficulty. It's not because we don't have any doubts or any questions and our faith is unflappable. It's nothing to do with anything any of us can earn or do to get God's love and his acceptance, but it's because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of the perfect life and the ministry of the eternal Son of God. I love you. You're my son, you're my daughter, I'm pleased with you. By putting your faith in Jesus, you're drawn into this honour. You're drawn into his status as a perfect child of God. And so one of Jesus' best mates uh, who got to hang out with him really got a hold of this. And he wrote down about Christians. He said this, see what great love the Father has lavished. He has lavished it on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's true of Christians. We are children of God and we have his delight and his pleasure and his love and his acceptance of the God who made us. And that's just a gift that's spoken over our life. Now, I'm being repetitive, I know. Deliberately so. It can feel so distant, can't it? On a Wednesday afternoon, on a Thursday morning, on a Friday evening. See and remember and know who you are. Believe it and live in it. There's a, a scouser called J.C. Ryle who, who counsels us as Christians. He says, let all true Christians rest their souls on these words. Rest your soul on this and draw from them daily consolation. That's help and encouragement. Our sins and our shortcomings are many and great. In ourselves, we can do no good thing. But if we believe in Jesus, the Father sees nothing in us that he cannot abundantly pardon. He regards us as the members of his own dear son. And for his son's sake, he is well pleased. He sees us as his children, as part of his son and those who are in his son. And he is well pleased. Rest your soul, rest your mind in his great love for you. At least in this moment, do it. And then there's maybe a chance that come Wednesday, it might be a little bit more present in your life. That you, you, you have this great need, as, as we all do, to be fully known and fully loved and accepted. And that, for all of us, comes with a great fear. But guys, we need to know that through Jesus, that is answered and resolved. This is good news. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to have enough faith for all the answers. You don't need to look for this ultimate loving acceptance elsewhere, in other people, in other things. If you draw near to Jesus in faith, then he brings you into what he has. And it is yours and he shares it freely with you, and it is lavish, and it is an abundant love of God, and it is a delight and an acceptance, and it is a great pleasure that will never be taken from you. Just rest your soul in it. 
Now, Jesus' baptism here is a reminder of our own baptism as believers. So we can cast, those of us who are baptized, can cast our mind back to that, which is a sign and seal of the reality in our soul that we have by faith. He didn't create it, but it, it signs and seals it for us, that we are united to him in his death and his resurrection. So we have this. It is ours. We are fully known, fully known, and fully loved. And so we need not fear. For God is with us, and God is for us. Who then is going to stand against us? Those who have his delight, and who are held by a love that will never, ever let us go. Let's pray, and then uh, as the musicians come up, and we'll sing together in response. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, the deep treasures and, uh, that, that are hidden in just a, a few short verses in such a simple scene, and yet it, it just changes the world for us when we see the true reality that's depicted of who you are, God, three persons in one glorious God, and what you have come to do, Jesus, and what you have come to give us, what you have come to take away from us, and what you have come to give us instead. Would we know who we are? Would we know who you are? And even now as we, as, as we reflect and even now as we think and even now as we sing and then the moment we share the Lord's Supper, would, you just, would our souls just be nourished and refreshed and renewed in these, in these amazing, incredible truths, we pray. Amen.